Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So in her book, fantastic book, um, Christianity After Religion, isn't that title provocative enough? Christianity After Religion. Dinah Butler Bass talks about one day, a few years ago, receiving a video from a friend of a poem, a poem written by a young man named Jonathan Reed, a poem entitled The Lost Generation. And in this poem, he describes with powerful imagery and words that that help you feel his, his heart. He describes the current hopelessness, a sense of despair among some in this generation that is coming up around us. But then in hearing this poem in the format that she received it, Butler Bass talks about something unexpected happening in the midst of the poem. Listen to these words. The words are The Last Generation by Jonathan Reed. He says, I am a part of a lost generation, and I refuse to believe that I can change the world. I realize this may be a shock, but happiness comes from within is a lie, and money will make me happy. So in 30 years, I will tell my children they are not the most important thing in my life. My employer will know that I have my priorities straight because work is more important than family. I I tell you this, once upon a time, families stayed together. But this will not be true in my era. This is a quick fix society. Experts tell me that 30 years from now, I will be celebrating the 10th anniversary of my divorce. I do not concede that I will live in a country of my own making in the future. Environmental destruction will be the norm. No longer can it be said that my peers and I care about the earth. It will be evident that my generation is apathetic and lethargic. It is foolish to presume that there is hope and all of this will come true unless we choose to reverse it there is hope it is foolish to presume that my generation is apathetic and lethargic it will be evident that my peers and i care about this earth no longer can it be said that environmental destruction will be the norm in the future i will live in a country of my own making i do not concede that in 30 years from now i will be celebrating the 10th anniversary of my divorce experts tell me this is a quick fix society but this will not be true in my era families stay together once upon a time i tell you this family is more important than work I have my priorities straight because my employer will know that they are not the most important thing in my life. So in 30 years, I will tell my children, money will make me happy is a lie and happiness comes from within. I realize this may be a shock, but I can change the world and I refuse to believe that I am part of a lost 
generation. Yeah, come on. My, my. Now something, sometimes hope requires flipping the script. It requires playing backward from the end to the beginning. This storyline that we are living and assuming we have no control over. And I want to talk a little bit about that today. Because we currently in the church, in the world today, are living out a script that I tell you has to be reversed if we have any hope of the gospel message of Jesus Christ reaching a whole new generation. And it is this, you and I know that we live right now at a time when people are hungry for hope. I mean, desperate for something to pull them out of the mire of despair. We know this week that at least half of our country is not only disappointed, but maybe disillusioned, a little bit angry at the same time. And we recognize there are some who are wondering where they will find a sense of hope. The national division that we've been talking about for the last four weeks in my series called One, when we talk about the oneness of the body, this national division is not going to go anywhere anytime soon. There will continue to be an ever-increasing chasm of ideas that separate us, and people are hungry for something to hold on to, hungry for something to belong to that is bigger than what they see in front of them, more permanent, more reliable, more trustworthy than what they see all around them in the systems that give us life and breath and give us movement in in our world. And you throw on top of that sense of despair and hunger for hope, you throw on top of that a pandemic, come on. On top of it all, this past week, for example, I was at the Mercer University Board of Trustees meeting and we listened to experts in infectious disease tell us we might need to get comfortable living in a world behind the mask for a while. It sinks my soul in despair to think about that. And And so all of us, none of us excluded, are hungry for something to hold on to, to belong to something bigger, more more permanent, more, more trustworthy and reliable than what we see. And the thing is, in the church, we believe that we have the answer. The answer is in a relationship with the living, breathing, risen Christ of God. We believe that a personal, living, vibrant relationship with the divine secures us at places so deep that nothing in the world can touch it. It didn't give it and it can't take it away. But there's a problem, though, with our script. Because the truth is, we all know that if we somehow can wake up to the reality that we belong to God through Christ, if we recognize that, then the hope of the world is restored. But the trouble is, for a long time, we've been, well, approaching this belonging in a way that needs the the script flipped. So in the same book that I referenced a moment, moment ago, Diana Butler Bass says, for the last several hundred years, our understanding of what it means to belong to the church has been reversed. For the past 500 years, our pathway to belonging in Christ has looked a little bit like this. Believe, behave, belong. And what what that little pathway trajectory means is if you believe the right things, and then if you learn to behave in the right way, well, then maybe you can belong with us. 
And there's a good reason why we've come to think of it that way. I mean, we, in many ways, we put belief at the, such the, 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 the apex of what it means to belong that we think of it as like the front door to belonging to the body of Christ. And the reason we do is because for the last 400 and plus years in post-Reformation Europe, I mean, about 500 years ago, the, the Western church at least, the Western church was one church. It was the Roman Catholic church. But when the fires of Reformation uh, spread all throughout Europe, we exploded in about five major family groups in, in the church. Roman Catholic Church, uh, Lutheranism, Reformed Christianity, Anglicanism, the Anabaptist faith, which is where we kind of find our lineage uh, down the road. All of these are worth a whole study and sermon series on their own. But suffice it to say here and now, that when we exploded into these divergent groups of, of faith, belief meant everything. And why? Because at a time when the church and the state were so blurred into one, well, what you believed determined whether you had any political power, land ownership, leadership in your local government or your local village or township. And so if you believe these things, well, you won't find any kind of uh, faith life around here. You belong in this other region. And if you don't believe these things, then you can move on. So the, the belief meant everything. And these were serious matters. Like, what does it even mean to be saved? I mean, do, do you need someone to intercede between you and God? Or can you know the divine on your own? That's something that we kind of, children of the Protestant Reformation, take for granted. But that was a big big difference maker what does it mean to be forgiven i mean can i actually truly really be forgiven by god simply because god's grace has forgiven the world or am i required to do something to earn that forgiveness see all of these beliefs became so systemized into different categories and people groups that belief was the front door to faith if you did not check the sign or sign on the dotted line at the bottom of these certain beliefs, you did not belong to this particular group. And the problem with that, two major problems that I have with belonging, starting with belief, that if, if that's the trajectory, that you have to believe the right things and then behave the right way in order to belong, there are two major problems I have with it. One problem is that's just not the way human beings belong to anything that matters. I mean, think about what happens when a baby is born. That's the best example. When a baby is born into your family, if everything goes well and, and everything is as it could or should be, that baby belongs to the family regardless of what the baby has done because the baby is so helpless. We are like one of the most helpless species when we are born. We rely completely on our system, our family system, to care for us, to, to belong with them. But in their belonging, having done nothing to earn it, having articulated no beliefs, the baby simply belongs. But in belonging, well, the baby in time learns certain rhythms about the family. Well, and when it gets dark outside, that means, well, I take a bath. It means I go to bed. It means we read a bedtime story. It means we, we say our prayers. And when it's the sun rises in the morning, the baby learns in the context of belonging. The baby learns, well... We get up and we brush our teeth and we make our bed sometimes. 
And in time, after many years of that kind of belonging and behaving, they begin to take on certain convictions about what it means to believe. Because they have lived in a context of belonging where they are safe and welcomed, they have behaved their way to a certain set of beliefs and virtues and values about what it means to be in this family. I told you a few years ago that when both of my sons were born, the first time I held each of my sons was the most transcendent moment of my life, both times, just absolutely the closest to the divine I've ever, ever been. And, and I recognized in holding my sons that there was nothing that they did to deserve that. There's nothing that they said or proved of themselves. They just belonged. And I knew in that moment I would move heaven and earth and still would. <laughs> in fact, I told you last year when I dropped Nathan off for, for school at Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama for the first time, as we were leaving, I, I said something like this. I said, listen, you let me know if you need anything, I'll be here in 20 minutes. <laughs> he said, Dad, it's a three-hour drive. I said, I didn't stutter. And you're born into a family, you belong, or you should. You, you belong. But then as you belong, in the midst of belonging, you become something. I had a conversation with one of my best friends named Doc Hollingsworth. Doc is the pastor of Second Ponce de Leon Baptist in, in Atlanta. He said when he had his first grandbaby, he said, I didn't know what Lucy looked like for two weeks. I said, why? He said, because I couldn't hold her without crying. You are born belonging. So one of the reasons I have a problem with you, you got to believe in order to belong to the family of God, is that that's just a reversed way of doing it. The second is I have a really big problem with making belief the front door of the church. You know why? Because the very ones who are most hungry for hope, the very ones who are most desperately longing to belong to something bigger and better than what they have seen in the past are the very ones who simply cannot honestly believe yet. I mean, I'm thinking about the nuns and the duns. You know, we talked about them before. The nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, 26 or more percent of the country. When asked, what religion are you a part of? They check the option, none. Or, or the duns, those who were in a religion, but because they were burned or turned off by scandal or because they experienced a kind of exclusion rather than an inclusion of their family members and their friends, they walked away and have never walked back since. I'm thinking about them because, beloved, you and I recognize we are going to school with and working in the office with and shopping for groceries with and dropping off the dry cleaners with people who have a whole different way of thinking about their life and thinking about what it means to be alive. And their belief system will look different than ours, possibly. They may have different ideas about scripture and about science or about sexuality or what happens after our life and heaven and hell and all of their myriad mixture of beliefs if belief is the only way they can get into the belonging of the beloved body of Christ. Well, then we've put up a barrier that prevents them from actually coming into a context in which they learn over time in the safety of belonging to be transformed in the mind and the heart. And so belonging cannot come as a result of believing and behaving. This is why the script has to be flipped. This is why we're talking about this sermon series called The Great Reversal because too much is at stake for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have to reverse this pathway from believe, belong, behave to belong 
behave, believe. I think I may have said that wrong. We change it from believe, behave, belong to belong, behave, believe, right? And why? Because I said so? (laughs) Well, when have we ever done something because I said so? No. Is it because it's written about in books by historians and smart people? No. We have to reverse it because this was the way Jesus did it. This is the way Jesus did it. Jesus never approached someone and said, can you explain to me all of your doctrines before I ask you to follow me? Jesus simply get, came to people where they were, unfinished and imperfect as they were, and invited them into a relationship. And in inviting them into a relationship in which they belong, out of that belonging comes a transformation that leads toward belief. So Jesus comes to Simon and Andrew and James and John who are fishing, mending their nets, and he says, follow me. And they drop their nets and follow. It doesn't say they drop their nets and immediately confess their faith. They dropped to follow in a way of being alive that was so different than they had ever considered before. Jesus goes to Matthew, who's at the tax collecting table, literally exploiting his neighbors through tax fraud, fraudulent activities, and Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. He didn't require that he repented first. He didn't require that he articulated the seven core values of his local congregation first. He said, follow me. He comes to Zacchaeus up in a tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm eating at your house. And Zacchaeus says, you gotta be out of your mind. You can't eat at my house. You realize what happens if you hang out with people like me. You'll get... Well, you'll get tagged with certain names that, well, would, would diminish your reputation, would somehow be a bad PR move on your part. And Jesus said, I don't care what's for dinner. Time and again, Jesus would invite men and women from all walks of life to enter into an experience of belonging to something bigger than they had seen before. To belong to a new way of being alive as human beings. There's this amazing story in the first part of the Gospel of John. And John, uh, the Baptist, is there with two of his disciples, right? And Jesus walks by. And John the Baptist says to his disciples, behold, the Lamb of God. So the two disciples of John start to follow after Jesus. And Jesus turns around and says, what are you looking for? And they ask him this question. They say, Rabbi, where are you staying Which on the surface, if you just kind of read it casually, sounds like, what motel are you staying in? Where are you you sleeping tonight? But the nuance in the Greek phrase is this. Where are you camped? Where have you pitched your tent? Where are you camped out on all the major issues? Because if we're going to follow a rabbi, the tradition is to learn everything we can about the tradition that that rabbi was trained in. Because there are some rabbis who are too conservative for us and some rabbis who are too liberal for us. We need to know, where are you staying? And you know what he says? He says, come and see. Come and, come and see. Jesus doesn't hand him a resume. He doesn't give his rabbinical CV and say, if you can check these, well, then you can follow me. He says, come and see. He invited them to belong to something bigger than they had experienced before. See, with Jesus, you didn't have to believe to belong. You didn't have to believe to belong. But if you belong for long, 
you end up believing. So there's this amazing story that convinces me of this. It's, it's a story about how Peter, you know, Peter, one of the most passionate followers of Jesus, he was like the most vigorous, passionate of the inside circle of Jesus. He's sitting with the other disciples one night and Jesus says to all of them, who do people say that I am? And then some of the disciples say, well, some people say that you're, you know, you're Elijah or one of the prophets or, or John the Baptist come back from the dead. And then Jesus said, but what do you, who do you say that I am? And it was like crickets. Nobody said a word except Peter. And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And that phrase became known, and we know it now as the, the great Petrine confession, the confession of Peter. This one statement of belief that establishes a kind of foundation for the church because then at that point, Jesus said, upon you, this rock, I'll build my church. And you could go today to Rome, to St. Peter's uh, Basilica, where Peter is literally buried. And above that great canopy, high above your head, in seven foot tall letters of gold, there is this verse that is famous from this story, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. To you I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And here we are thinking about Peter, the first pope of the church, some would say, and we think, what great belief. All right, you tracking with me? What great belief. This is a statement of belief, thou art the Christ. But the truth that we sometimes forget is that Peter didn't wake up overnight on the first night and say, you know what, I believe. He came to this great Petron confession that established a kind of foundation for the church. He comes to it because he had been with Jesus for years, walking with Jesus and working with Jesus and laughing and praying and crying and succeeding and falling down. It was Peter, right? who walked on the water, but at the same time fell and sank into the sea beneath him. And all this rising and falling and succeeding and failing ultimately led him to a place because he belonged first and because he behaved through watching Jesus and his walk matching his talk, because he belonged and behaved his way toward it, he now was able to believe. And what I'm trying to set as a foundation for this the sermon series is, beloved, if we have any hope of those who hurt finding the hope of their lives, we have to, in our minds, flip the script. We have to reverse the order that we belong in this place becomes a place of belonging first. Now you're saying to yourself, oh, come on. You're saying that belief doesn't matter, Sean? Does belief really not matter? Of course it matters. In fact, in two weeks, we're going to talk big time about what it means to believe. Belief is everything. It just doesn't start there. In fact, you know how I'm convinced of this. I mean, we, we believe John 3.16 is one of the core verses of our faith. There we read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Did you catch that? Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But sometimes we forget that right there in chapter 3 where 3.16 is found, He's talking to a guy named Nicodemus who has come to him earlier in that chapter because he's having problems being confused about what to believe about this guy. And in this struggle to actually believe, he comes at night so no one knows because it's not safe to ask certain questions outside the darkness, right? So Jesus says to him, you have to be born anew. What a gorgeous way to respond to someone struggling with belief that it's really more like you've got to be, uh, Nicodemus, you've got 
you got to be born again. Well, how can I do that if I've already been born? And he says, it's like the spirit, Nicodemus. It blows, the wind blows, and the word in Greek for spirit and wind are the same, pneuma, the spirit, the wind blows as it may. And you don't see where it's coming from or where it's going, but you feel it. You sense it. Belong like a baby being born to a family. And out of that belongedness comes belief. Beloved, the reason this is so important is because you and I both know somebody right now who would be here if we could give them the grace to not have to believe everything on the first day. You and I know right now, and I want you to think of people right now in your mind. Faces, I want you to think of faces. I've got some in my mind. Who there's something that's coming alive in them, but, but because of along, along the way, they have, they have somehow been convinced that they have to believe the whole thing in order to get started. Because they believe that, then they have thought that they are not welcome in a, sense, in a place of belonging where they could work it all out. A couple weeks ago, I had this amazing conversation with a friend of mine. And I hope you are listening as I told you to today, right now. This amazing conversation with this guy. He's not a believer. He's not a Christian. He wanted to come over and talk to me about that stuff. And he said, look, I've never been a person of faith. I'm not a person of faith, but I've longed to be. I've wanted to be. It's just at the end of the day, there's some things I just, I can't, I can't buy it. My conversation with him was, but what if you don't have to buy the whole store to walk in the door? I mean, what, what if you could suspend this idea somewhere along the way, somebody told you that to be a part of this thing that we call faith, it means you check off on this, you gotta believe this, this is how you gotta order your life, this is how your family has to look. But what if, what if you simply paid attention to the thing that is waking up in you right now that you can't have words to describe and you don't know how to explain it or wrap your words around it? What if you simply responded to the possibility that being born in you right now is a new kind of, aware, of awareness. And maybe you belong. <laughs> Do you know what this pastor's heart is for this church? Ah, God, my God. I dream of this church remaining for years and years to come, a place where everyone in our regional neighborhood understands that here is the place you go if you haven't got it figured out. Here's the place you go if you have struggles, but you need a safe space to work out those struggles. Here is where you go because those folks understand that we are all unfinished people with with broken and imperfect stories. And in this space where we allow the, the space for grace to take part, people from all walks of life and, and every unorthodox belief may find in our company the same thing that was found in the company of Jesus. Transformation. But that can only happen if a church like us commits to at least three things. It means that we have to be patient, we have to be humble, and we have to trust. We cannot become the beloved community that Christ came to establish. He didn't come to establish a religion, but came to establish a beloved community in which we belong so safely that transformation happens along the way. But it requires patience on our part. For folks who come in and bring questions that we are not so much in a hurry to answer for them, but we give them the space to work out those questions and maybe even leave with a few more of their own. 
It requires patience because you can't expect unchurched people to act like they're church people when they've never been to church. It requires patience with each other because we say that we value theological depth and diversity. That means that we have to have a wide spiritual and theological bandwidth to make room for those whose confessions may not be as orthodox as our own. And it means that in so doing, our patience, which is a fruit of the Spirit, will give somebody something to eat deeply and be nourished by. But it doesn't just require patience, it requires humility. It requires for a church to recognize none of us have fully arrived yet. That we are continually on this journey of transformation with Christ. We sometimes like to think that when we confess Christ as our Lord, well then, there we are. It's the finish line. That is not the finish line. That's the starting block. And in the great starting block of faith, we realize we just jump into this race at different points along the way. That means we have to be not just patient, but we have to be humble. And realize that what God may be doing in the life of someone that he brings here is not just for them to find transformation, but in their transformation, we find our own as a community of mutually transformed people. That's what it means to belong first. But it doesn't just require patience and humility. You know what else it requires for a church that has some courage to it? You know what a courageous church is? A church that trusts. A church that trusts God. That God is always up to something in everyone's life, even if and especially if we can't see it nor control it. That means we trust that all the questions that are being raised by this group or this individual or this family that doesn't quite fit into the orthodox pattern of our own experience, these we entrust to God because God must be up to something in them. And beloved, if we create a, a community of belonging, then belonging begets vulnerability and vulnerability begets humility and humility begets a spirit in which you are open for transformation and transformation begets the possibility of belief we are always moving to belief but those congregations with the courage to let people belong first are the ones in which real transformation is underway and that's the heart of this pastor for this place and I'm telling you something all that sounds great but it may be that you're here today and and no one has ever told you that you belong maybe you've been going through the motions and and, and yet you have never actually truly believed the possibility that you belong to the beloved community of transformation in Christ And today, maybe you need to offer your own prayer of vulnerability. Maybe you need to confess some things to the Lord that opens your heart to become a part of a a beloved community so that in your belonging, you create space for the belonging of others. If you need help praying that, maybe use these words right where you are. Maybe you pray this way. You pray... I don't know how you do it, God, but if, if it were up to me, I would see somebody as broken as me and maybe confused as me. I would see somebody as different as me, as, as someone who needs to work a little harder. I would see somebody as broken as me, as someone who is in need of a little repair before I can belong. But that's not how you do it. And if it's possible, 
that I could actually be belong with you. And if it's possible for you, God, to be patient with me while I test you out, then I, here I am. If, if it's possible for you to give me some time and some space to actually slowly step into following, here I am. I've come to the end of myself and I admit I am not enough on my own. And I yield my life to you. I want to follow you, whatever that means. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody here may have prayed that today and meant it. Somebody in the Family Life Center may have prayed it. Somebody at home, maybe you have echoed those words or similar words in your own heart because of your deep longing to belong with Christ. You need to know that it's enough. His work on the cross was enough to make a space for you at the table. But you need to tell somebody about that. In fact, right now, we're going to invite you to do that at the end of the worship service. Right now, you may see that up in front of the sanctuary, our pastors are going to be gathered. In fact, our ushers will be gathered in the front of the pews in preparation just now for our dismissal. In the Family Life Center, there will be pastors over to your left ready to receive your conversation as well. But if you're at home, you need to email us at connect at jcbc.org because we need to walk alongside you. To belong means that you're not alone in this. So we're praying for you. And we want to know what God is doing in your heart. For now, it's time for us to scatter into this world as people who actually live out visibly what we have affirmed in this place in our hearts. So in the Family Life Center, as well as in the sanctuary, Johns Creek, would you stand to your feet as we prepare for our benediction? And wherever it is that Christ bids you to go this week, our prayer is that Christ would go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step further at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding even closer than a brother or sister. May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his. Go in peace.